the Crucial Talks podcast with your host, Mike Saddam. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crucial Talks podcast. I'm your host, Mike Saddam. If you could do me a quick favor, I'd really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast and subscribe to it. That would help us a lot when we're trying to build this community of people that really want to understand what drives them and what drives others. Also, if you ever have a question for me, if you ever want to reach out, please feel free to do so. You can visit me at www.crucialtalks.com or through LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. Now, this podcast, the Crucial Talks podcast, is focused on a positive, strength-based approach to human behavior. We really try to understand what drives people, and we focus on things like communication, group behavior, social belonging, esteem, emotional decision-making, all those things that make us tick as human beings. So that's why I am super excited for today's guest, Carrie Wooten. Carrie is an organizational culture consultant, but it's not just her expertise on culture that makes today's episode so great. What really makes it great to have her on is what she is doing with that expertise. Carrie is focused on getting rid of toxicity and unhappiness in the workplace. And we've all been there. We know what working in that environment is like. And we've talked about some of this before and the success that actually comes when a group of people whose members trust each other and look out for each other, how they can actually gain success from that. They get to focus all their energy and all their attention on opportunities and outside threats because they don't have to worry about protecting themselves from their own team or their own organization. And Carrie helps organizations work toward optimal success. She does this by eliminating the toxins that can really exist in our workplace. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Carrie Wooten to the Crucial Talks podcast. How are you doing, Carrie? Hey, Mike. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on today. No, I think it's going to be great because of all of the things you're doing. I really, uh, you know, I've been following you online. We know each other on LinkedIn, that sort of thing. But you're talking to a lot of different organizations. I mean, I've seen a lot of work with, uh, with the military, mm-hmm. seen some work with other organizations. So as we get into this, I'd really like to start just with a little bit of background about you and how you got to this place where, where you're really helping a lot of people and a lot of organizations develop these cultures that are that are positive, they get rid of that, that toxic environment. How did you get to this place where you can help so many people? Sure. You know, no one ever asks me how I got here. So thank you for that. That never happens. Um, huge part of my story is, so I came from law enforcement. I came from a, a large city, um, you know, 900 officers. We were very busy. It was a great culture. Love going to work every day. So I was very fortunate. I also worked for a second agency where I had the opposite experience. So like you said, we've all been in that toxic environment. We know those people who are, you know, just kind of complaining all the time and they really don't have anything to say if they're not talking about how unhappy they are at work. And I started living this and really experiencing it every day, day in and day out. And I saw what an environment was doing to me how it was changing me as an officer, as a wife, as a mom, you know, creeping into the rest of my life. And when I left law enforcement recently, about a year and a half ago, I was building other businesses and I said, you know what? I can't be the only one who's been here. I know that it's contagious and people are people, whether they're law enforcement, whether they're medical, corporate sales, it doesn't matter. 
Okay, the work environments are all the same. They have the same issues. So I simply just saw a problem, said, okay, what do I know and how can I fix it? You know, coming from law enforcement, I understand people. I know how to communicate. My education is in psychology, so I can take some of that. And then the little entrepreneurial flair, I already had two companies. So I built a third one simply based on the mission to stop unhappiness in the workplace. I think we work too many hours and too many years to not be excited about doing it every day. <laughs> so that's, that's it. Saw a problem. I wanted to tackle it. And the exposure and the experience I've had just in the last year of doing it has been life-changing for me and I know impactful for others as well. And so when you're in these different organizations, I mean, you experienced it yourself. You saw both sides mm -hmm. of the coin. You are in different organizations now helping them probably focus on some of these things, realize what's happening. Because really, I feel like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here because you're the experienced one, but I feel like with, with workplace happiness, workplace toxicity, these toxic environments, it's always seemed to be buried under the, the easily accessible stuff, the policies, procedures, that sort of thing, kind of covers up some of that. So when you go into someplace, how do you, how do you figure out where their culture is, where their environment is? How do you, how do you figure out where they need to go? Because every organization is different. Every group of people is different. Every culture seems to be different. How do you figure out where the starting point is? So you really hit the nail on the head. There are a lot of policies, procedures, other things covering up the real issues, or there are a lot of band-aid approaches. You know, when leaders know that the morale is low, they say, okay, let's create another plaque, another award, another incentive. Well, that's nice, but it's actually kind of a myth. You know, no one really is fulfilled by those things. If you want an award, you know that you can do these 10 things and get an award or get promoted. But that's not where people psychologically and emotionally find fulfillment day in and day out. So I go truly to the core. I always interview my clients first, say, okay, where are your pain points? Because I do customize my training. Like you said, every culture is a little bit different. So, you know, where are the issues? Why is the morale low? What do you think? And then we go to the basics that everyone seems to forget about. We talk about an organization's mission, vision, and values. Most of the time I can ask executives, I do mostly executive training, you know, what's your mission statement? And most of them don't have a clue. They probably even wrote it themselves 10 years ago, but they don't know what it is. So we go back and build from the ground up. Mission, vision, values, how do you live it and breathe it every day? How do you speak it into all of your employees? And then I simply just talk about people. All of the differences that we know we're going to have in the workplace, gender differences, generational differences, communication differences, personality types. And then I break all of those differences down and teach them how to leverage it because you're not going to change people. You're not going to make a man think like a woman and vice versa. You won't have a baby boomer communicate the same as a Gen Z employee. It's just not going to happen. So I actually give them strategies and tools to leverage it so they can build success based on what's already in our organizations. 
And I love what you're saying there because it sounds like it's in line with what we talk about a lot here on the podcast, which is the fact that as social beings, we really haven't changed cognitively and biologically over thousands of years. We're still driven by those same kind of core emotions and feelings and emotional decision-making. But what I love what you said is the fact that through your training, through your, your consulting, you actually recognize that you're not coming in with some kind of cookie cutter approach to A, B, and C, and you'll get D. You're coming in with the knowledge that everybody has a different background. Everybody does have some of these, these different drivers within them, but by, by creating this superordinate goal, uh, which is what I call it from, from social identity, you're really creating a, a superordinate mission or superordinate vision or something basically that all these different people can get behind and within their all, all of their, their strengths that are built into them, that's where you're going to get the, the good workplace, the healthy environment, because you're not trying to force them into a mold, but you are allowing them to use what's already inside them toward this common goal. Is that what I'm hearing? That's exactly right. It's so often I feel like it's, well, if they don't a right fit for us, then you know, we just need to change them. And then we wonder why it doesn't work. You're not going to change someone's perspective and beliefs. You're not going to change their core values. Now, when you're recruiting, you can definitely make sure that their core values align with the mission of your organization. I mean, that's a complete, you know, separate topic. Really, there's enough information there. So you can, you know, vet people that way. But when the lack of communication is there between a supervisor and entry-level employee, now you have not only experience differences, you have job responsibility differences, and you probably have generational differences all at the same time. Both parties sit back and say, well, I'll just tolerate it. I'll deal with it or I'll leave. And just dealing with it doesn't work. It will break all of us down. No one wants to go into work every day and just deal with what comes their way. They don't want to accept a poor leader or an unhappy colleague or anything negative. So if we can truly, like I said, dig deep and leverage those differences, saying, okay, Mike, you and I are different. We have you know, different genders, different generations, different backgrounds, but are we moving towards the same goal? Do we have the same vision? If we have that, we can get there in our own separate ways. We just need to make sure we have that shared vision for our team and our organization, and we're going to find success there. Well, and it sounds like this focus on lack of communication and trying to enhance communication or fix it, it sounds like you, you recognize within an organization that there are different generations, there are different backgrounds that are coming into the organization, whether it's law enforcement, military, or a corporation. But what you're trying to do is create a way to communicate that still allows people to be who they are at the core so you can leverage those strengths. Because I know, you know, we see it all the time online and things like that, that people are blaming social media and how fast information gets out there and the devices we all have at our fingertips for all these problems. But to me, it really seems like the problem isn't with the, the means of communication. It's with the context and the content of communication 
And, you know, we blame these devices, but sometimes I don't think that's really the core of the issue. Is that what you're seeing with communication? It's really not, it's not the device. It's not the speed. It's really the, the core of why we're communicating and what we're communicating. Yes. So the technology and social media is a huge conversation. You know, you get, obviously your Gen Z and your millennials are living on it, but Gen X created it. (laughs) We always seem to forget that it started there. And uh, so you still get the baby boomers in as well, who I've seen some who get offended by the use of receiving a text from an employee versus them walking into an office. And that's where the communication conflicts really start to arise because it's all perspective. You can get a baby boomer saying, well, you know, this young employee doesn't respect my position or my time because they don't want to come in and have a discussion with me face to face. Well, really, it can be the complete opposite from the Gen Z or millennials perspective saying, I respect how busy they are. So I don't need to schedule a meeting, walk across the building, go into their office. I can just shoot them a text with one sentence. Here's what I need. Here's what I did and be finished. So they actually think they're being more efficient and respectful. And the baby boomer is seeing the opposite. So it's just an understanding of if you can understand the why of their communication style, then we can start to meet in the middle. And if there is an issue as an employee or as a leader, it doesn't matter. You can say, Hey, I prefer communication via face-to-face phone call, email, text, whatever it may be. Um, You know, if you don't want to receive a Snapchat from an employee, then let them know that, but also understand that from their perspective, a Snapchat is an effective and efficient way to create a video and send it to you in an instant without really messing up the schedule of your entire day. So it's just understanding all of those different techniques, why we built them, where we all come from, and then see how we build it into our day-to-day practices. And so this notion of perspective, I think is great because we talk about it a lot here on the podcast because it's really about putting on the right lens. Like two people right next to each other can experience the same exact thing in a totally different way. So I love what you said there about, hey, we're not just trying, we're not saying, and I see this a lot, and I'm sure you do too, but we, we see a lot that, oh, millennials and the new generation, they're the problem. They're always on social media. They can't focus. We, we really are looking at it wrong. I mean, because I know for a fact that even though it's a different generation with different technology, we're still the same people inside. And so it's not where I see an issue is where, you know, we, some of the older generation, myself included, that's in a management level or whatever. If you don't realize that these behaviors and these belief systems of a different generation, they're really not bad. And that's where I like what you said, because changing our lens on how we view it, if instead of viewing it as they're all about themselves and all they want to do is push out a text, they can be done with it. Instead, we look at it from the perspective, I like what you said, that they respect us, they respect our time. So they're trying to save us time because of that level of respect. That's an entire different lens to look at for the same exact situation. Is that what you, are you seeing that in the organizations going to that you're having success? 
showing some of these uh, executive leaders and managers and supervisors a different way to look at the people they supervise or their team that they work with? That's, that's exactly right. Mike, maybe you should just go teach all my clients for me. <laughs> you got to figure it out. Um, that's exactly right. And when I break down, it's, it's always the best conversation. Everyone really enjoys it. But we actually break down, okay, why are baby boomers this way? Why is Gen X this way? And we look at what milestone events happened, you know, in their childhood that changed how they perform now. You know, you went from factory workers to single income to dual income to everybody was divorced, you know, to, you know, have just the difference between millennial and Gen Z, which that's huge because everyone started to figure out millennials. They say, oh, they're so young. They're so this. I'm like, millennials are mid-management now. That's not who you're recruiting anymore. You're a generation behind. You're looking at Gen Z, who's completely different from millennials because what happened, Gen Z didn't experience 9-11. We forget these things, but it became a different world where, you know, active shooters and terrorist attacks, they weren't a thing for everybody else. It was kind of this Maybe it'll happen, but not to us. And then 9-11 happened, and now it's been a real-life situation for the childhoods and really how Gen Z was created, and it's a completely different world for them. So we have to look at why the perspectives change between each generation and then just simply understand, okay, that does make sense. Or millennials, you know, they all live in their parents' basements and everything else. Well, they entered the workforce during the recession. None of them could get jobs and education prices went up. So they increased their debt, decreased their chance of getting paid. So now millennials ended up living in their basements and starting families later and everything else. And so we just have to look at the circumstances, what actually happened in history to shape each generation. And that's where perspective and communication styles come from. And then we get this fundamental perspective on, okay, we're different. This is why it makes sense. Now, how do we all come together in one room and use all of these vast differences and four different lenses and, again, build something that moves our organization towards the same mission and vision that we've outlaid in the first place? So, and again, I love what you're saying because – from a social perspective, from understanding that people are social storytellers, that they crave social belonging, they crave esteem from the groups they belong to, we are able to tell stories. That's how we pass information from generation to generation. That's how we make decisions because stories elicit the emotions that are required to make a decision and the feelings that we use to make decisions. Knowing all that, it's important because I think what you said really hit it on the head because understanding the belief systems of everybody really helps us because we start to understand everybody is made up of these different groups and roles they play. So if you're playing the role of police officer or soldier or, you know, line level personnel, you still have other roles you play as a family member, as a, you know, millennial, as being part of your age group, as being part of that, that culture. Now that we can, you help people understand that. So now that we understand where everybody's coming from, maybe their belief system that look, they're just acting the way that they feel is right 
because that's the way they've been taught. That's the way they've brought up. That's the way their, their brains are working. Now then, it sounds like once you do that, the next step is you can move into, now that we know it, how do we leverage what we've got to move toward this common goal? So then how do you start taking those steps to do that? Now that you've, you've kind of explained to people why it's happening, how do you get to the, the how to do mm-hmm. it? So it all goes back to team building strategies. And not only do we learn all this perspective, like I said, we're talking about generations because it's a hot topic, but generations, gender differences, um, just personality differences, right? All the things that we know we're going to face just because we're all in the people business. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. You're working with people, you're serving people. We're all in the people business. So we have to understand each other. It's the most prominent aspect in our life, yet the most understudied. So as we go back to team building, if you can understand the strengths and weaknesses of those around you, if you can understand their perspective, well, now you don't build teams based on rank or based on experience alone. If you are working on a new marketing campaign for recruiting, and this is every industry, well, you probably don't want all baby boomer and Gen X involved. You want some of your younger employees because they're the ones that will build the rapport and know how to speak to those you're recruiting. You have to be on social media. You have to be doing live video. You know, the the marketing tactics are changing because you have to adapt to that group you're trying to bring in. So don't just have your most senior guys in charge of every project say okay what is the desired end result of project a b and c now based on that what strengths and what life perspective do we actually need to put on that team to achieve our result so it's not being as straightforward with you have 10 years experience so you get to now be in charge of this you know you are a lieutenant you get to do this you know have that law enforcement specific have that lieutenant reach down to, okay, I have a mid-level supervisor that happens to be a millennial, but our target audience for this project are millennials. You know, collaborate there and use what you have. I don't think we utilize those around us enough. I think we get this tunnel vision of here are my job responsibilities. Here's what I do at this rank or with this many years experience. And we're really kind of the downfall of our own success. We're limiting ourselves with this tunnel vision. And it's discussed tactically and everywhere else, but it's not often discussed when we're talking about the main functions of an organization and how to serve our communities or our clients or whatever the case may be. Yeah, and I love what you said because you're really, you take this strength-based approach to understanding other people, to understanding human behavior. And I love what you said because Focusing on those strengths, and I've said it a bunch of times, but really what we, what we search for is what we find. So if we're looking for those strengths and we can find what those strengths are, now we're actually having a positive, motivational, momentum-building approach to getting things done in our organizations. And it seems like by doing that, you get this byproduct, this great byproduct of a more healthy work environment that people want to be a part of because it really sounds like when you have these projects 
you can, and you use a strength-based approach, you're creating that social belonging. I mean, you're actually creating those links between different people and giving people that esteem that really we all crave. And by doing that, you're, you are creating this culture that people really want to be a part of. Yes. So everyone wants to be an asset. Everyone wants to be needed. They want to be important in what they're doing every day. None of us would be excited if we woke up every day saying, you know, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to put in my hours, but it doesn't really matter what I do. And there's no fulfillment there. There's no drive there. And I don't believe that you can motivate people. I think it gives them a high. I think they might be ready to go for a couple of days, but now they need that, that motivational talk again. It's not long lasting. It's a bandaid. So if we want intrinsic motivation, you have to focus on that self-awareness of, okay, if I'm going to team build and I want this strength-based approach, first of all, what am I good at? And don't be ashamed of your weaknesses, but if I know that I'm good at A, B, and C, but I'm bad at this over here, well, I'm going to fill that void. I'll find someone who can cover my weaknesses for me, regardless of who it may be. And now everyone is an asset. We have all of our bases covered. We're stronger as a team as far as moving forward with our mission. And everyone has this self-fulfillment because everyone has a voice. We all want to be heard. We all want our ideas to be respected. And if we can create that constant fulfillment and feeding people strengths, and now they're just getting better and better, you no longer have to micromanage or hold people accountable. They will do it themselves. You know, it's um, Jocko Willink, a great, I'm sure a lot of people have read the book, but Extreme Ownership, Dichotomy of Leadership. Um, he really says, you know, the greatest leaders are the ones who are about out of a job. You know, leaders aren't created to manage followers. Our job is to create other leaders. Well, you can't do that if you don't have a strength-based approach. If you don't have the self-awareness yourself, so you know how to build these high-functioning teams where everyone feels like they're an asset. So that's really, that's all foundational, self-awareness first. Now how do we build and now how do we feed into everyone else so everyone has this social belonging and this fulfilling work environment? Well, and it does sound like you're really talking about, you know, we, we've all heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and all that stuff. But you're really talking about the top portions of that, the self-actualization, the self-fulfillment, the, the emotional belonging, the love, the trust, those things at the top. And what I see a lot is, especially with something like uh, the hierarchy of needs, is people kind of put it into a, a box as, as linear. And I'm almost to the point where it's like, look, we got to flip that triangle upside down because I really think that with those top parts, the esteem and the love and the belonging all the other stuff, the safety and all that comes with it. I mean, that's just going to be part of it. And so many organizations seem to be good at the bottom part, right? Like 90% of the organizations out there can provide, uh, you know, safety and, and a job and bathrooms to go to and things like that. But so many have a problem with that top part. What it sounds like to me is through your focus and what you help people do is really focus on the, the more intrinsic parts of what being a human being really is. And instead of this kind of cog in a machine, 
you're looking at people as people. Exactly. And I think the big issue is no one likes to talk about emotions. We all have them. We all have the same emotions. And we've all, you know, experienced extreme loss, extreme anger, you know, extreme joy. We've all had all of that. But we like to pretend that, you know, it's just not there or it's not appropriate for the workplace. And it's really my greatest challenge, although my most fun, when I train law enforcement and military, because more so in the military, I get this, you know, orders are orders, rank is rank. You know, we're creating warriors. We're not building people. Like, but they are people first. They were born as people. They've been raised as people. And now you have to train them as warriors. But you don't get to take the people aspect away. (laughs) That's still there. And if you start taking that, well, now you have a bunch of cogs in the wheel or a bunch of warriors or a bunch of cops who are only identified as their job. Now they have an identity crisis. They don't know what to do. I've been asked before, um, they said, well, I don't, why do I need core values? I know what the values of the Marine Corps are. I said, that's great. They should align. What happens when you leave the Marine Corps? What do you have left? And it's something that they never thought of before. They said, I don't know. I guess I just won't leave or I'll, you know, do something else. They had no idea. So if we can keep feeding the personal aspect of it, well, now we're creating better humans. You're going to get better service if you have better people in your organization, not just better cops, not just better soldiers, not just better sales reps, but better people. So now everyone starts moving into this servant leadership role and everything improves because you can't take that personal piece out. You, you can't strip that away. And once you start to, then you get employees who are unfulfilled, who are negative, who are lost, and they're not going to produce or even come close to exceeding your expectations like we all want our teams to do. We want everyone around us to be fulfilled, be an asset, and really hold themselves accountable and exceed our expectations. Success rates would be through the roof for every organization if we could master that. Yeah, and I think that you, you, you have a great point there because especially talking to military or law enforcement or firefighters or anybody in kind of that public service realm, they really do understand it when you put it in the context of, is somebody going to charge up a hill with a machine gun on top just because they're ordered to do so? Or are they going to do it because of the person that's going up there right next to them that they've been entrenched with, that they have this strong bond with? Because really, you know, if you look at somebody like the Navy SEALs, right, and just the training they go through, you can't just order somebody to do that. I mean, they've got to do it because they feel this strong belonging and see what they can accomplish just because of this strong in-group identity they have because they have so much trust. And then to go ahead and translate that onto a sales team, right? Like I see in organizations a lot that these these teams sometimes aren't focused on the outside opportunities they have. They're actually more concerned with protecting themselves from the person in the cubicle right next to them because they don't have that level of trust. They don't have that, that team belonging. And I think that not only can we learn, you know, you've seen it in the military and law enforcement and 
but man, these, these sales teams and all these other types of organizations could really learn a lot from what you're doing with the military and with law enforcement because it all, it, we're still all people and we get more benefit and we can focus our energy outside if we're not worried about getting stabbed in the back, for lack of a better way to say it. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And it's, there's fun, competitive nature in the workplace, which I think is important. That's great. You know, you want to have those around you where you're all pushing to be better or to get the next promotion. That's a, that's a good, healthy, competitive culture to be in. But like you said, it's if you're worried about being stabbed in the back by either the soldier next to you, the you know cop on the next shift, or the person on your sales team, well, it's really just hurting you though because they're not worried about it. But if I'm going to work wondering, you know, looking over my shoulder, wondering who's going to, you know, say something to get ahead or who's going to really mess up what I'm doing today. Well, now I'm not serving to the best of my ability because all of my brain energy is going elsewhere. So if we all build that camaraderie and the camaraderie is pretty easy, law enforcement and military, but you still have the toxic employees there. They just kind of fall back on this fundamental um, you know, unit. But if you can build that same strength and camaraderie in other industries, whether it's sales or medical, or it doesn't matter. Again, I mean, it's people are the same everywhere. Okay. Generally speaking, they're the same everywhere. If you can build that now, every single industry is moving forward with this tight unit. You know, how do we move together as a team to achieve this? Even if it's in sales, okay, well, don't just beat the guy next to you in numbers for the promotion, but what are you selling? Which one of you can impact the most lives based on whoever's buying your product? You know, and if we can have that outlook of this consistent service and this servant leadership, now we all work together. And again, it very quickly goes towards the, our organizational mission and our vision can now be achieved in the right way without trampling each other on the way to getting there. Right. And I like what you said there too, that, and I, I see this a lot where people don't understand. You tell somebody, Hey, people everywhere are the same. And you get some pushback sometimes because people just aren't looking deep enough. I mean, a lot of the stuff I talk about actually came from, from counterterrorism studies on terrorist groups and why they do what they do. And it really always comes down to perception, how they view what's going on around them, how they're making sense of the world around them based on those social cues, the social belonging, the beliefs that go with a particular role they have adopted, a role they've been given, a role they're playing. So it really is a great point that I wanted to hit on that people throughout the world are the same. Now, their, their social belief system might be different, but they're still figuring out what to do and what's going on around them based on those belief systems. So if we can tap into that, into our organizations, it truly is a powerful way to impact decision-making and impact what is happening in our organizations and how people are making decisions. And so as we kind of wrap up this episode, I know you wrote a book um, and it's it, it, from looking at it, it seems like it's more focused on what we can do as an individual. And so we've talked about organizations. We've talked about groups. We've talked about 
you know, relationships and, and one-on-one communication with our team members and things like that. But can you leave us with some tips on as an individual, like when I walk out of my office today, I may not be talking to a team member. I mean, I may not be talking to a supportive or a boss or anything like that, but what can I do to maybe change my mindset to be more of this strength-based positive outlook to even make my own situation better? What can I do as an individual? Great question. So every single day I ask myself the exact same question and I say, who is going to be better today because of me? And if I can't answer it by the end of the day, I didn't do my job. And I don't mean my job as a trainer. I mean as a human being with a purpose, with my mission in life. Okay? Who did I impact where they are now better because they spoke to me or, I mean, small things. You know, did I smile at somebody in line waiting for coffee? Maybe no one has smiled at them in the last four days, right? It's these little things that we don't know what's going on in everyone else's life. And so if you can ask yourself that question, who's better because of me today or who loses if I don't win, if I don't achieve my mission today, if I'm not better, who really loses because of that? And now we're in this constant, everything I do, not only am I being better as a person, I'm going to up my game, but I am positively impacting those around me. Now you start becoming a piece of the puzzle as far as this epidemic of positivity and fulfillment that I'm trying to achieve with all of my clients. And if you're doing that, um, I want to touch on the book real quick. It's called, it starts with me. It's on Amazon and it actually walks you through a daily exercise of your strengths and your weaknesses. It's all about self-awareness because if you can't identify what you are great at and where you are struggling, then you don't know how to offer help to those around you and you don't know how to build the best teams. So strengths and weaknesses every day, you know, do this daily practice. It's going to change your perspective. You'll understand yourself and then you can start understanding those around you. Because if we can't master ourselves, we have no hope of understanding everyone else around us. So it's always taking that internal look first and then feeding everything else. You know, you can't pour into somebody else's cup if yours is empty. Well, and I love how we kind of went full circle there because you started off saying, hey, look, you got to be self-aware. And now we've ended with, you got to be self-aware. And these are some steps you could take to actually do that. So again, that book, even though we barely touched on it, I know you did, you know, you really probably didn't want to uh, bring it up, but it's called, It Starts With Me, A Daily Practice to Mastering Self-Reflection. I'll put a link to, the, to where you can get it on Amazon in the show notes. But really, I think it's a great place to wrap up this episode just because we can control what we can control, and that's ourselves. And we can control our perspective. And by being self-aware, by starting to do some of these things, by looking at people differently, by trying to be more empathetic and understanding of where people are coming from, now we actually plant these seeds that can have that can actually live a legacy and change our organizations, our communities, our relationships for the better. So this has been really a great conversation, Carrie. I really appreciate you coming on because. I think we covered a lot of great stuff that can help people not only in some of the, you know, more tactical organizations we're talking about, military, law enforcement, that sort of thing, but it can really help a number of community organizations, sales teams, corporations. It really does seem to be because we're talking about people as people, 
now we can actually start having some impact on how we work as a group. So I really appreciate you coming on. If anybody wants to get a hold of you, what kind of services do you offer and how would they get a hold of you? Perfect. So I am on all social media, <laughs> um, but I'm real Carrie Wooten on all of it. So on my Facebook, on my Instagram, send me messages or just follow my content. And then of course on my LinkedIn, um, and then the final one is, it didn't even come up because this is a new announcement, but I'm now the Dean of the National Command and Staff College for law enforcement um, as of about 12 hours ago. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Cool. So I've, I've been partnering with them over the last year and doing a lot of their trainings, but now I'm the Dean. And so commandcollege.org, find the content there. You have all these ways to reach out to me, questions, messages, and that is, that is what I do. I will come out and train and everything else, but really, I just want to answer your questions, you know, get to know who's in your audience, Mike, because obviously we came together for a reason and I am just here to help and serve any way that I can. Yeah. And that's pretty much the constant theme from, from this podcast and everybody I've talked to is everybody I've talked to is successful in what they're doing. And I think the reason they're successful is because they're just giving. I mean, it really comes down to you're giving out information. You can, find all this stuff online. You can get in contact with everybody. And I really think it's cool that that is where you're coming from. And it's, again, it's a great lesson that when we're coming from the right place, then we can have the right things come out of that. Instead of just looking out for ourselves, you're really out there to help other people. So thanks again for coming on. I really, really appreciate the conversation we had. So, hey, everybody out there, if you enjoyed this conversation we have with Carrie Wooten, Go ahead and look up some of her, her stuff. Again, I'll put a link to her book on Amazon so you can get a copy of it, so you can check some of the stuff out. Um, if you enjoyed the conversation, if you got some benefit out of it, I would really, really appreciate it if you shared the podcast with your friends, subscribed to it, gave it a quick rating. That would be great. And if you need to contact me, the website's www.crucialtalks.com. I'm on email, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, however you need to get a hold of me. It would be great to contact, make some contacts with you and communicate more of these, these topics with you because I really think we can get better because of it. Have a great week. And remember, if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people. Please review, share, and subscribe to the Crucial Talks podcast. Visit crucialtalks.com.